The Tom Woods Show, episode 1183. Prepare to set fire to the index card of allowable opinion. Your daily dose of liberty education starts here. The Tom Woods Show. Folks, Harry's razors give you a close, comfortable shave without breaking the bank. And Harry's wants to give you their trial set, valued at $13. Grab it at harrys.com slash woods. That's harrys.com slash woods. Hey everybody, Tom Woods here. How do we deal with the objection that you can't really make any hay out of Venezuela because it's not really a socialist country? Of course, this is coming from the very people who not four or five years ago were saying, ah, the terrible right wing, which is all their opponents apparently, can't face up to the fact that we have a successful socialist experiment staring them in the face. So it's socialism when it's doing well. Then when it turns badly, it's, I don't know what you're talking about. This is not a socialist country in the first place. So we're going to talk about that with Jose Nino. And uh, we've had him on in the past. We talked about the whole disaster in Venezuela. But now we want to focus on a more specific topic, namely, to what extent can you in fact call Venezuela socialist? We're going to link to an article Jose wrote over at the show notes page, tomwoods.com slash 1183. Jose, welcome back. Thank you for having me on again, Tom. Better late than never, um, having you on actually to talk about something that John Oliver said. But obviously the topic is evergreen. It doesn't really depend on him. But he is on record as saying, in fact, a great many people of his persuasion have said that people are making too much out of Venezuela because Venezuela is not really a classically socialist country anyway. And so they're trying to make a lot of hay out of what is not the result of socialism. Whatever we may say about the conditions down there, they are not caused by socialism. And that's just a cheap political tactic by people who support capitalism and and despise socialism. So that's the thing. So what we want to try to assess is the extent to which this really, Venezuela is a socialist country. So first of all, let's talk about the kinds of excuses that Oliver has to fall back on. How does he account for why Venezuela is doing badly? It's not capitalism. Well, he uses the typical argument of epic mismanagement or even goes as far as to say that the price controls were unrealistic, but this is the harsh reality. The epic mismanagement is a feature of top-down economic systems like socialism. When you destroy property rights and any rational form of a pricing system, you're going to have mismanagement, economic distortions, shortages, and all sorts of economic inefficiencies. This is just another type of excuse that many on the left use to evade the harsh realities of socialism. All political systems are not created equally. You see this with Western countries that are much more economically free. They have much higher levels of economic prosperity and they feature limited government. Whereas countries like Venezuela that have intervention in all facets of economic life, they tend to be on the lowest level of the misery index. So These countries are not coincidentally the least free and the least prosperous as well. Of course, the very use of the word mismanagement gives the game away. Why are they trying to manage the economy in the first place? We don't say that the U.S. economy goes up and down because of bad management. Whatever explanation people have for it that's 
It's never that. The very fact that you're trying to manage a diverse array of people and goods and services and prices, and you're trying to impose some kind of a an order on that that's extraneous to it, that developed in the head of some bureaucrat or some leader, some some powerful leader, that already shows you're on the wrong path. Wrong path. There's no reason to be managing it. Uh, it's It's sufficient that consumer demand drives production. It sets the prices indirectly of all the capital goods that go into producing uh, the producer's goods that go into producing the goods. And likewise, it's consumer demand that winds up setting the prices of the finished consumer good. We don't need any other force in that because profit or loss will determine how many firms are in what industry and what size of those firms and how integrated they'll be. All these things are decided just through the the streaming of consumer demand up through the structure of production. We don't need this to be so-called managed. So the management thing right off the bat is a problem. Now, he does concede that there were price controls in Venezuela that were, quote, unrealistic. And I'm pretty sure you take him to task for that one. Yes, there's no such thing as a realistic price control because price controls by definition are destructive because the market ultimately will determine what price suppliers will supply a certain good and what price uh, consumers will demand a certain good. When the government steps in and starts determining what the price is, it will create all sorts of misallocations, especially in the Venezuelan case where the government creates artificially low price controls And in turn, these lead to the notorious shortages we see all over the media of basic goods like flour, toilet paper, even airline tickets as well. And this is simply because the government is a terrible institution when it comes to economic allocation of resources. And that's where the fatal conceit lies in the whole concept of mismanagement, when you're already talking about the state managing a certain sector of the economy, you're already operating under a very flimsy economic premise. How do you respond to his claim that, look, there are plenty of socialist countries that look nothing like Venezuela. So again, how can you say that socialism per se is the problem when we have other examples of socialism in the world? Now, obviously, Part of your answer has to involve how is he defining socialism here? Well, I really didn't even get much of a explanation for watching his video on what he defines as socialism. And we have to first ask, what countries is he referring to? North Korea or Cuba? These are like the most durable communist regimes in modern times. And they're very likely going to be the scenarios that Venezuela will face if it continues on this same economically destructive path of socialism, or I think he's probably just referring to the supposedly socialist Scandinavian countries, which has been demonstrated, especially by authors like Nima Sanandaji in his book, Scandinavian Unexceptionalism. These countries, they're mixed economies. They feature heavy degrees of capitalism in a lot of sectors of their economies, and they're really just mixed economy welfare states. And they became rich through capitalism in the late 19th century up until the 1930s and 40s. Then the welfare state came in. But most 
leftist apologists will say that the welfare state was what made these countries rich. But any serious look of these countries' histories will show that it was capitalism that made them rich. So saying that the countries, developing countries need welfare states to become rich is putting the cart before the horse at best, and it's economically destructive at worst. I want to go through that section of the Communist Manifesto where we get those famous 10 planks of the socialist program and then just apply them to Venezuela and see how they come out. But before we do that, I wonder, especially for people who did not hear you the last time you were on, can you tell us something about your own background? Yes, I was born in Venezuela, but I came to the States when I was relatively young in the mid-1990s. But I've been politically active in some shape or form since Ron Paul's first campaign as a Republican in 07. And I've been involved in various liberty free market organizations since then. I currently am a writer for various outlets like the Mises Institute and Gunpowder Magazine. And I've been featured as well on Zero Hedge and Business Insider. All right. So you have – do you have family in Venezuela? Yes, I do have distant relatives and some family members there, but they have left – most of them have left the country for other countries such as Colombia, Panama, Spain, and the United States. Wow. OK, Spain. Wow, that's that's quite a, quite a ways to go. All right, let's go through – I'm going to give you like a lightning round. OK, so I'm going to read in order these various planks and you tell me the extent to which they apply to Venezuela. First one is abolition of property in land and application of all rents of land to public purpose. Well, under Hugo Chavez's regime, the Venezuelan government expropriated millions of acres of farmland. And not just that, he's also extended these expropriations to large supermarket chains and factories almost at will. They can The government can just come in one day and say this is now – this property is now the property of the state and it will be used for so-called social purposes. Thus, property rights in Venezuela are pretty much hanging in the balance, if not not respected at all. All right. The second one, a heavy progressive or graduated income tax. Venezuela does have an income tax, which tops out at 34 percent for the highest income earners. But they do also feature a lot of heavy forms of taxation that's essentially functions as like highway robbery if you travel across the country these days. And they also have a stiff value added tax that was implemented in the 90s under the IMF's guidance. Then we have number three, abolition of all rights of inheritance. Well, in Venezuela, rights of inheritance are not completely abolished, but they, the government still taxes the largest inheritance with a hefty rate of 55%. All right. How about confiscation of the property of all emigrants and rebels? The Venezuelan government is relatively known for targeting foreign assets, especially of American companies such as ExxonMobil and ConocoPhillips. They've done this a lot with the oil industry. And in fact, they nationalized the oil industry well before Chavez. It's just that Chavez now had a total piggy bank in the state-owned oil company to finance his projects. But they have expropriated American, Japanese, and some European companies over the years. 
All right, then we have centralization of credit in the hands of the state by means of a national bank with state capital and an exclusive monopoly. Venezuela Central Bank was actually founded relatively late when you compare it to other central banks around the world. It was founded in 1939. But since the nationalization of the oil industry in the 1970s, the central bank has played a much more activist role, which was noted in 1980s when Venezuela experienced its first major devaluation. And now the central bank has just become a complete printing press for the Venezuelan socialist government, and they have increased the money supply at unprecedented rates, sometimes increasing the money supply 10% on a weekly basis. And the result, the hyperinflation you see in Venezuela, that's almost at 14,000%. Then we have centralization of the means of communication and transport in the hands of the state. Yeah, Venezuela has the National Commission of Telecommunications which is the government apparatus that regulates and controls all media in the country. And it's very notorious for its censorship campaigns and has earned like the disreputable label as being not free, according to certain organizations like Freedom House, for its campaigns of censoring dissenting views. And sometimes the Venezuelan government will buy out certain outlets and just staff them with nothing but government supporters. Then we have extension of factories and instruments of production owned by the state. You will see a lot of government-sponsored unions and labor organizations in Venezuela take over abandoned factories in the name of the state. And foreign companies have also been in the crosshairs as Chavez's government has taken over Argentine and Japanese-owned factories for state purposes. Then how about this equal liability of all to labor, establishment of industrial armies, especially for agriculture? Well, the government and its fight to alleviate the stress from like the food shortages we see put forward a law that like basically forced all workers from the public and private sector to help the government boost food production. That If that's not slavery, then I don't know what is. Then we have combination of agriculture with manufacturing industries, gradual abolition of the distinction between town and country by a more equitable distribution of the population over the country. Well, Venezuela took a page from the Cuban playbook and tried to implement what's called organoponics. It's a system of urban agriculture using organic gardens. And it was done in the aim of like achieving self-sufficiency in urban centers like Caracas. But there's nothing wrong with organoponics per se. The only problem is that it was completely initiated by the state. So the result was a ton of economic misallocation of resources and it just turned into a complete boondoggle for the Venezuelan government. Then finally, free education for all children in public schools. Well, public education has been technically quote-unquote free since 1880. But the public education system in Venezuela has served as a convenient vehicle for social democrats, socialists, and hardcore socialists like Chavez and Maduro. And Chavez and Maduro completely exploited this system to force down their socialist agenda than people's throats. And what about people who say Venezuela was doing just fine until oil prices fell and – the greedy international speculators 
started to uh, tighten the the vice on Venezuela because they, of course, they hated to see a successful socialist country. And and by the way, no, notice that they'll say that it sort of contradicts John Oliver's thing that it's not a socialist. It's not a socialist country when it's doing badly. When it's doing well, it's a socialist country. Well, the high oil prices were beneficial to the government. That's about it. There really was not any type of genuine economic boom for the for the general Venezuelan populace. The government got rich, but not the average Venezuelan. In fact, the Venezuelan economy on like a real GDP terms during those oil booms really did not grow that much. And there were already signs of an impending collapse with regards to the debt the government was racking up, as well as shortages were actually even starting to emerge in the late 2000s as the price controls started to take a toll on the economy, irrespective of the flow of petrodollars that the Venezuelan government got. Once the oil prices collapsed, basically the, the Venezuelan government's repressive apparatus just didn't have as many funds now. And you see a lot of tension inside the Maduro government with several factions going against each other. But at the end of the day, there was no real wealth creation, which is the which is what matters most in these discussions. Jose, let's take just a minute for me to offend socialist sensibilities by advertising a wonderful capitalist product, and that's Harry's razors that you all know I love, that I've given as gifts, and that are going to give you the same close shave they give me. What you need for a good shave is not 27 superfluous features and a built-in MP3 player. You need sharp, durable steel blades that last. And that's what you get with Harry's at an excellent price. And if you don't love your shave, just let them know within 30 days, they'll give you a full refund. But you won't because you're going to be thrilled. And you're going to feel like going back to buying razors in the store is like, what is this, 1977? Well, Harry's is so sure you're going to love their blades, they want to give you a $13 value trial set. Comes with everything you need for a close, comfortable shave. A weighted ergonomic handle, a five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, a rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. Listeners of my show can redeem their trial set at harrys.com slash woods. Make sure you go to harrys.com slash woods to redeem your offer and let them know I sent you to help support the show. Jose, any final thoughts for us before we wrap up? Well, I think the Venezuelan case shows the far-sighted nature of the Austrian School of Economics. Ludwig von Mises even mentions this as well, that middle-of-the-road policy, such as, say, socialism-like or social democratic policies, will lead to a eventual totalitarian socialist project if left unchecked. Venezuela, since the early 1960s, has embraced social democracy in some form of the other by increasing degrees decades after decades. And the system actually collapsed in the 1980s. And by the 1990s, Venezuela was on the verge of implementing some decent reforms. But unfortunately, corruption scandals toppled the government that was about to embark on these reforms. And the whole political system fell apart. And this was perfect for a demagogue like Hugo Chavez to come in and take control. And he basically doubled down on all of the policies of the previous decades. And this is just a fair warning to many countries in the West that have extensive welfare states and that have embraced 
policies like minimum wage and are considering universal basic incomes. Once the money runs out and these interventions create massive distortions, a lot of chaos will ensue and we should never underestimate the level of economic brainwashing that voters and politicians have received through decades of public schooling and decades of being dependent on government services. So in these type of cases, these people will logically vote for and push for certain policies, despite the fact that previous interventions created the mess that they are currently in right now. All right. Well, with that, we're going to wrap up for today. I'm going to link to your article, of course, at tomwoods.com slash 1183 so people can have it handy the next time they're in this situation of finding somebody running away from Venezuela who has no right to run away from it when it's their ideas that caused this problem. So tomwoods.com slash 1183 is where you'll find that article. And Jose, thanks again for your time. Well, it's a pleasure talking to you again, Tom. All right, everybody. By the way, especially for folks who are just joining the podcast, from time to time, you'll hear us refer to Austrian economics or the Austrian school of economics. Although now that I think about it, I haven't done nearly enough of that lately. We've got to talk much, much more about Austrian economics. But this is the school of thought in economics you want to know about. This is the school of thought we associate with Hayek, who won the Nobel Prize in 1974, Ludwig von Mises, Murray Rothbard, Henry Hazlitt was an Austrian. Um, Carl Menger, but most people probably wouldn't know him if you don't know uh, some of the other ones. But the point is, this is the school of thought. You're just gonna it's gonna make you fall in love with economics. And if you've heard it here and there, and you're curious, but you know there are eight hundred thousand books and ten times that many articles, and who knows how many audio and video files to be found. Where do you start, and what's a reasonable course of self study? Well, I've come up with a list of things that I think if you were to read or consume you would be very, very knowledgeable in this area. And you can find that over at learnaustrianeconomics.com. So make a note of that, learnaustrianeconomics.com. I've got some good links up there that will certainly help you. So that is it for today. Now, tomorrow we got a more controversial episode coming up, but you know what, who cares? (laughs) I'm always saying this, okay. That makes it fun. And I'm gonna say some things that I guarantee are gonna rub some listeners the wrong way. There's just no getting around it. But- I hope we stay friends. That's all I have to say. I'm just going to leave it right there. I'm going to let that float. I hope we stay friends. And I guess I'll know from the download figures the following day whether indeed we have stayed friends. Thank you, folks. Talk to you tomorrow. Become a smarter libertarian in just 30 minutes a day. Visit TomWoods.com to subscribe to the show for free. And we'll see you next time.